Yeah. Is that, you, oh, are you yeah, referring to Confucius? Sorry, are you referring to Confucius? <laughs> sorry, Dad. The bridge. He was shaking his Soylent Green, like ah. his his chemical shake that feeds him, provides him all the nourishment he needs. Welcome back to Boomer Dad Millennial Comrades, with your host Evan, Ozzy, Ron, Jen, and Jared. You know what we call this? What you were just talking about? It's called the proletarian your mama. <laughs> the proletarian your mama. Evan, Evan came in in no shirt, just his underwear, and holding a natural ice can of beer. Well, you don't have to say what beer. That's the most embarrassing part of all of it, is the natural ice. It is. Why? Why, Why? is it embarrassing? Natural ice? Have you tasted it, Dad? No. Well, I won't stay very long. Anyway, I just wanted to say hello and tell you guys the reason why I'm, uh, I have missed some is just because I'm, like, you know, going through a little bit of a rough patch mentally with work. I'm really busy, and I just kind of don't want to do anything when I'm not at work. It helps to hear that, that explanation of we love you. I adore you. I love you too, John. It's hard to pull your head out of, you know, such a thick cloud, but you, you got to try. You got to you gotta keep trying. Don't give up, okay? Yeah, I mean, the thing is, is I think that I'll be back once. I think because right now we're going through the move. So what did Jared tell you? Like, we just found out yesterday that we got the apartment, so... Yes, and I was so excited to hear that. It's hard to contain myself. I can't really jump for joy, but right. inside I am. Yeah. I'm really glad that you guys are together. Right. I think instead of talking about union today, maybe we can pick a, you know, some do some follow up on other things. Like what, Dad? Well, like I had. You remember a couple of. A couple of sessions of running, I think 15 and 16, I, I mentioned my my personal observations of capitalism and how we're all kind of handcuffed and hogtied. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about that, and I, and I kind of wanted to expand a little bit on uh, what I mean and how how capitalism isn't really isn't really a friend to anybody except people who have have broken that window, broken through that glass ceiling. And one of the, one of the illustrations that I want to use is if you think about you know governments around the world, every government, no matter if it's a you know, Russia, China, U.S., you name it, France, anybody, Canada, anybody. It, you think about it like a, a stick-built home, okay? You know, you got your foundation, they start off, and you got your constitution, which would be your foundation, blah, blah, blah. But then you start with a wooden structure, and you lay what what's called the floor joists, those, you know, two-by-six or two-by-eights, and then you lay your floor on top of that, and then you build your walls and so on and so forth, right? Mm-hmm. Well, those floor joists, if you start off and like, you know, one out of every 
four of those four joists is rotten. It's not good wood. Then you already started to, you know, the building is not going to be solid. It's not going to be strong. And the same thing when you go to build the walls at like every other two by four or every other two by six or, you know, every third or fifth or whatever is bad wood. Then it's, you know, it's going to be a problem for the whole building. Eventually it's going to fall in on itself. And that is that is the corruption within governments, is those rotten pieces of wood. And eventually it's going to fall apart or it's going to become detrimental to the people who are, are being served. It becomes a, autonomous. The, the government itself becomes uh, self-governing if you will. They believe that they are the leaders. They they turn on the people. What we've got in the U.S. right now is there's so many uh, elites within, or they believe they're elites within the government. Like Nancy Pelosi, for example, when she was the uh, Speaker of the House, she she really believed that she was a heartbeat away from being president of the United States, and she acted like it. You know, she would fight for the president no matter what. And you know, not to not to just name a, a name, but it's the same way within uh, the agencies. We have uh, Justice Department, the FBI, and the Department of Justice that are little tyrannies, you know, they're dictatorships within. And it's only in the, the executive office part. It's that people at the top incidentally are appointed the seventh floor of the J. Edgar Hoover building. All of those executives were appointed by Bill Clinton. George Bush, Barack Obama, you know, all those people are friends or some kind of, they're owed some, some political favor. So they become the tyranny level of these justice agents. And it's not, it's not fair to the agents. It's not fair to the agency, but that's the way it works. And it's the way, way it works around the world is you have political appointees and uh, these, these offices become polluted and they will destroy the building eventually and they're working on it. And I'm thinking about uh, a few weeks ago, I heard uh, uh, Merritt Garland, the Department of Justice director, said that any attack, any any political uh, conversation, any discourse that, that demeans or undermines or talks about in any way the Justice Department or the FBI is an attack on the U.S. Constitution. And it's like, what the fuck? That's insanity. 
that's that's tyrannical speech. And just yesterday, I, I heard the guy who is a journalist, a leftist journalist, say that adding another party to run against the Democrats is anti-American. It's it's unconstitutional. It's like what are you talking about? To to broaden the opportunity for people to have a choice is anti-American. Who is this wingnut? It's insanity. This is how governments become corrupted. You have idiots like this that are making decisions for the whole. That's not democracy. You have, you know, elites, or at least people who believe that they are elite, but their thoughts are, are superior to everyone else's, that, that end up ruining democracy. You're stupid to make a decision for yourself, so we're going to make it for you. Who's we? That's right. incredible, Jared. I, it makes me feel so ill inside. And I think that that's why so many Americans are in such tur turmoil, coast to coast, north to south, east to west. It's crazy. And that nobody knows how to fix it. Well, is there any other things you wanted to clear up that, that uh, or expand on from previous episodes? Well, there was a whole bunch of things. I mean, I, I've gone back and listened to a few episodes, but I can't specifically pick, you know, right, right at this moment. But that was what was kind of itching at me is that, you know, the, the corruption, where does it come from? And, you know, how does it infiltrate such a huge, uh, such a huge structure? But if you look at, Washington DC is a beautiful city, you know, with all of the all of the historical monuments and things to reflect upon how we how we became a country and all those things. And really those those structures are glorious to look at, impressive, you know, architecture and so on and so forth. But it is such a toilet of of unspeakable debauchery and evil that it's hard for me to even think of it as anything but a, a ra uh, you, t you take your dome off of the off the capitol building where congress meets and i look at i look at the dome flipped up and it looks toilet with all of the stink and and infestation roiling out of it you know you don't dare look down inside is you know what you're going to see. It's just horror to me to see it. And I think, how could it have gotten so bad in just my lifetime? I'm only 66, dude. How could it have gotten so bad in just my lifetime? Obviously, it, it was infested a long time before I was there, but you know, I mean, thinking about Senator McCarthy and people like that, thinking about uh, Woodrow Wilson, the worst racist, the worst bigot 
ever be elected president of the United States. So, it, you know, that was, what, 1920 or something like that? So it, it, it was a long time ago, long before I was around, but it, it took all of this time to finally become what, you know, the festering boil. And then you look at the governments around the world, you know, no wonder China as government doesn't trust our government. No wonder, you know, the Russians can't trust our government because you can't believe anything they say. The American people can't even trust anything that the American government says. Right. Yeah. And I feel horrible about it because I don't think of America as our government. I think of America as you and me, you know, your sister, your mother, my siblings, people that I love, people that I, that I, you know, want only the best for. Right. But you have to separate the corruption from the, from the family, you know? Yeah. Yeah. How can you, how can you do, how can you bring it back around? How can you clean out that cesspool? With proper class analysis and uh, a revolutionary mindset. You just have to, we have to, we can do it through reforms or we can do it through revolution. Either way, it, it, well, revolutionary mindset doesn't necessarily mean that it's radical. It doesn't mean that it's uh, opposed to democracy. It, you know, it's essential that we that we keep those ideas segregated. There is no need. There is no need for violence. I mean, Gandhi changed India with a nonviolent, with a passive mindset. And it's not changed. It changed a lot. But it, you know, and there's still a lot of corruption in India going on. But the, the idea that, you know, anything, anything can be settled by a violent overthrow is just playing into the hands of the capitalists. That's what they want. Because it will only create more mayhem, more fog of war for them to hide in. And we can't do that. I mean, it depends because there have been violent revolutions in history that have have succeeded. Right. Well, you can't play their game because that that only allows them to continue with the fascism of division. If you keep people's minds occupied, Think about this this way, this way, okay? I talked to Evan a long, long time ago, year, year and a half. To me, that's a long time. But uh, think of, think about uh, America, you and me, as a chessboard, as a chess game, okay? You and I aren't even a checker, okay? It's not even a checker game for us. We aren't even, we aren't even players. We're squares. They can't play the game without us. 
but we're stuck. We can't move. We can't go left. We can't go right. We can't go up. We can't go down. We can't jump people. We're stuck. And the game goes on on our face, in our face. They think that they are chess pieces. They, you, you, the joke goes, Mongo just a uh, pawn in the game of life. He wasn't even a pawn. He wasn't even a, a you know a chip on the checkerboard. He was just Mongo, and people used Mongo. You know they got him to do shit, people, and you know and bully people, and you know that kind of stuff. You and I, we're we're not even chess pieces. But the people that think that they're kings and queens on the chessboard, they're not. They're not kings and queens. They're not rooks and bishops. They are pawns, and they're being used. They're being manipulated. But the problem is, you have the black king, and you have the white king, and you have the white queen, and you have the black queen. They're still divided. Even the rich are still divided. For them, the competition is, you know, to corner the market, you know, to, to have their own monopoly, to put the other guy out of business. But it, it's a never-ending battle for them. But they're not even thinking about the checkerboard. They're not looking at the parquet floor. They're looking at us as you know, commodities, things that they can move around, things that they can adjust to make life better for themselves. There's a sort, there's a, a theory where they, you know, talk about, you know, the people who were born on third base. They haven't made a home run yet, but they were born on third base. And they look at the ball field, again, you and I, the blades of grass, and they go, oh, I need to have that manicured. They don't give a shit, you know, who gets hurt while they're standing their face. To, to, to them, the populations are nothing but a means, you know, to continue the lifestyle, to enjoy their, their wealth. And there really aren't that many of them compared to the rest of the world. What did Ozzy say? There was like, what, 5 billion people on the planet? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's the blades of grass on the ball field. <laughs> you know, and there's only, there's only room on a ball field for, uh, you know, nine nine offensive players, and then the people who come out of the uh, the offensive side to bat one at a time. So there's ten people on the field at a time. That's the wealthy. That's that's the people who are the billionaires. And I'm not just talking about you know they've got a billion or two or ten. And, and the nine, the nine uh, wealthiest in the world, 
are all pretty much Americans, and they control $72 trillion of the American economy. $72 trillion. And Congress is, is, you know, fighting and pissing on each other about the U.S. budget, which is $3 trillion. And these guys are carving up $72 trillion. What the hell is that all about? Incredible, incredible inequality. And and Congress is talking about making things equal. For who? Who are they going to make things equal for? Oh, we're going to lift the impoverished. Uh, bullshit. Lift the impoverished by giving them nickels and dimes and social security. That's insanity. That's that's how they that's how they continue to you know feed us worms, you know, and trick us to to stay in our places on the checkerboard. If you if you want to talk about a revolution, buddy, we got to figure out how to fold up the checkerboard and take it home. Well, that's exactly the point. Is like if you think of it as a checkerboard, right? And we're the we're the squares. The the working class is the squares. They can't play the game without us. So that's exactly what we do. We stop we stop them from playing by folding up the board. So that would be a revolution. But, or you could also. But how do you how do you do that though? What do you mean? There's multiple ways. The main one that ha- well, that there are multiple ways. One way, the peaceful one of the the more peaceful solutions is through reform. You could easily uh, elect socialist leaders to the Democratic Party, say, and then through that get them to be president and all of that. But it, it that that that's less likely, in my opinion, to happen because there is so much opposition. To socialism in the United States, uh, because of right because of because of McCarthyism and uh, like decades of Red Scare propaganda. Uh, That's history. But but that but that that that, okay. The other way is through revolution. It has happened multiple times. There there was the Bolshevik Revolution in the in the USSR. There was or in Russia there was. Uh, the Cuban Revolution, there was uh, the Vietnamese with Ho Chi Minh. It, ha- it happens all the time. And, and uh, to say that violence shouldn't be the answer, uh, I disagree with that. Because viol- I do disagree with violence in general. But the thing is, when the system itself is inherently violent, it's not wrong to stand up for yourself. It's just self-defense at that point. Our That's system, true. our system is inherently violent. People starve to death every single day from not have from a lack of food and and housing, and uh, and and all this just because they want to keep a reserve army of labor so they can say, "Hey, you, I can get rid of you at any time and hire someone else because they're poor and they need this job just as badly as you do or worse than you do." It's a violent system inherently. Okay. And so standing up and saying, fuck off, 
is just your right to defend your own sovereignty. Okay, I, I agree. I, I agree with what you've said, mm -hmm. and I agree with the principles behind it. Yeah. And my mind is kind of bouncing between the the, the, the multiple targets that you that you've laid out. Yeah. And I'm only I'm only thinking about not an argument, but I'm only thinking about rationally what someone who is resistant might throw in order to slow you down, to slow your roll, which is what the which is what the fascists want to do is find a chink so that they can trip you up right. and create. A, a hole in your armor, and that's not what I'm trying to do. What I'm what I'm trying to do is, in my mind, I'm trying to think if I were a rational person, which apparently I'm not. <laughs> that's in, that's in parentheses. I am in. Um, if I were a rational person, what would the average the average uh, resistance be to what you just said, and you named governments that had, you know, been overthrown, the Bolsheviks, for example, and, you know, did done the Russian thing, and uh, Cuba. You mentioned Cuba, and you mentioned Vietnam. Vietnam, I will say that I can I can honestly describe how that went and for the for Viet, Republic of Vietnam the people did not want to be part of the stranglehold on China and they didn't want to be a pawn on that that uh, checkerboard so they resisted and the North received uh, financial and military assistance from Russia and from uh, China or else they wouldn't have been able to do what they did but they withheld and they resisted and they ended up with a, a guerrilla war which was their only option they didn't have a, a political way to do it it just wasn't going to happen the UN wasn't going to cooperate and you know the world courts had no jurisdiction they they you know basically the the uh, capitalists had shut that all down the only way was for the uh, the capitalist forces to encircle China they had to have a foothold and Vietnam being the weakest of all of the Southeast Asian countries with the largest coastline on China, that was the target. And, you know, the capitalists didn't give a shit about the Vietnamese people, didn't give two frigs about whether anyone lived or died through this war as long as the capitalists could choke off uh, China and choke off the possible flow of communism, which uh, Ho Chi Minh was definitely a socialist 
slash communist in those respects. But what they did was they reached the people. The Vietnamese movement was pure in that it wanted only for its people to be left the fuck alone. Leave us out of this. They didn't want to be a pawn and they didn't want to be a stepping stone and they won and they are thriving today. And people say what they want to about, you know, socialism and communism and all of those bad things. Everything that I'm seeing coming out of China, I mean, out of uh, Vietnam is they are happy. They are content. And yeah, there may still be some impoverished, you know, pockets and things, but for the most part, they are taking care of themselves and they are doing very well. Mm -hmm. So I will give you that as an example. We, we can use them as the, as the poster children for what we're, you know, we're talking about in, you know, recreating a socialist world worldwide. Yeah. But as far as Americans go, and this is all I can deal with is because I am an American and I want to see America improved. I want to see America restored to a point where we, the people, have a, a government that is working for the people and by the people. And I want to see a democracy a healthy, flourishing democracy where it is the voice of the people as a whole. Right. Now, how do we fold up the checkerboard? Here's here's how, Dad. We me, tell people what you well, just said. Me, well, yeah, but to me, the, the folding of the checkerboard means that you have to, in a, a union-like fashion, take control of all of the operations coast to coast. And I don't mean in, in this domineering, you know, red scare threatening capitalist version of communism. I'm talking about reasonable thinking people working in a democratic fashion to elect, you know, leadership within unions and to wrestle the unions away from the capitalists who really do still control unions. Right. But organization is the only way. The first, yes, the first the step, way. the first step is, is, uh, is uh, agitation. You have to. You have to get everyone. You have to. Well, you've got you that. have to teach. You have to tell everyone that they're being oppressed. You have to tell everyone. You've got that. Right. Because they. You know, they. That's, that's, they that's, a that's the point. People in America know. Right. It's it's coast to coast. Everybody knows. Right, but a lot of people aren't like awake to the fact. That they're oppressed, like they know that they're like I'm poor no, and I and I can't fucking. It. They know it. They just don't know know to what depth. Mm. Frustrated, Jared. 
Americans are frustrated. They are pissed off. Yeah. Well, they also they don't know what don't to know do how to. Yeah, they, that's the other thing is they don't know how exactly. or where that's to organize. Frustration. That's the frustration is they don't know what to do. Right. And that's the fascists. The fascists have made it to that point. They've created this fog. This this fog of war. We are so confused and so distracted, so divided that you can't unionize. You can't organize. With this program, what we're doing is we're trying to tear away the fog of war. We're, we're stripping away the myth, the distortion, the lies. But we can only do so much. I mean, we've got, what, 46 people that tune in on a basis? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well... Part of the thing is we, yeah, we need to, we're trying to build a unified front to stop their, stop the capitalist hegemony. Fold up that checkerboard. Right. Because the only way you can fold the board is if every piece works in, un if every um, square works in unison. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and again, you know, that goes back to the idea of, of you know, unionizing. And I and I don't mean like the AFL-CIO. I mean, those guys to me are already corrupt. You know, they've already bought and paid for it. You need to wrestle that away from, from those people that are corrupt. And uh, the, the fact that they made a federal law or they tried to make it a law that unions can't support one another like policemen and firemen's union can't strike at the same time. That's Why? because Why? that, because, because if you, because the only power that the working class has is their own labor power. And so to stop using your labor power, uh, at the same time as everyone, uh, makes the system collapse. And that's the only power we have is our labor and our power to stop labor. But that, but that is shutting down the checkerboard. Right. That's taking the board and going home. It's instant, instant destruction of capitalism. Is if unions struck together, and that's why the legislature created it in such a way. They wrote the legislation in such a way that it was national security, the national security threat for unions to organize a, a collective strike. That is that is the, the literal folding of the checkerboard and taking it home. End of game. I don't know, buddy. I think uh, you probably ought to, ought to scrap that whole podcast. That just kind of sucked.